Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to 1 Peter in your Bible. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is the word of the Lord for us today. Well, we have been in the season of Easter, and um, we've looked at a bunch of different passages of Scripture throughout that. Uh, we looked at two different stories on Easter Day, um, uh, the Marys coming and seeing the tomb and going to tell the disciples, Cleopas and his friend, who uh, were on the way to Emmaus and, and they just didn't recognize Jesus and they end up having Jesus kind of reveal himself to them in, in, this, in this special way. Um, we looked at the beginning of the church last week and uh, how, how the church was wrestling with how it was that they were going to live in this new world. Uh, with this new understanding of, of what it meant to be followers of God, because they kind of had their world uh, shaken up. Uh, in fact, uh, Jesus' resurrection and their attempt to understand what all that meant reordered their life together. Uh, and we were told several places that um, they shared what they had and, and made sure that the people who were among them didn't have, didn't have needs, uh, that they were to care for one another in significant ways. Except there was this one group, uh, these Greek-speaking widows, that for whatever reason they were getting ignored. And so uh, they had to struggle with how to deal with that. Luckily, well, thankfully, they did well. And they, they prayed and they uh, appointed some fellows to take, take care of those, uh, those widows. What my, one of my primary points last week was um, that the church goes through growing pains, Right? Uh, that, that just like a lot of things, when it's new, you get, you get some kinks to work out. And, and not everything was right and rosy. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll see there's a lot of, a lot of conflict, for pressure from outside, but also disagreements on the inside about what's, what's happening. And 
And growing pains, not only from like inside, but, but trying to figure out what it means to truly be a faithful follower of God in the midst of a new world. A new world where Jesus Christ has died and raised from the, get, raised from the dead. And, and uh, a world in which the, the Holy Spirit has begun to empower people to be Christ's witnesses all over the world. Well, I want to I wanna latch on to the growing pains for a little bit and, and kind of tie that in with this particular passage. Uh, there's a lot of really, really good things in this particular passage that I could spend a lot of time on, um, but I don't, I don't know that I'm going to. So I think, I think what I'm going to say makes sense, and I think it will, will help us as we go along. A, a little bit of background on uh, Peter's letter here. He is writing to a bunch of Christians who are spread out all over the, the known world. Uh, we, we know this because he addresses it to the, uh, the, the diaspora, which is you know, people who have been dispersed all over the place. And these people are followers of Jesus Christ, and they have been actively experiencing persecution for their faith. Um, that life hasn't been easy for them. We don't, I'm not really sure how long after everything, after Jesus' resurrection, this letter is um, written. But it's been long enough for, the, for word to travel all over the place. Well, one of the things that Peter reminds his friends is that, uh, that you, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you have been given a new birth. That who you were as an old person, not as an old person, but as a, yeah, your old self has, uh, has been crucified with Christ. He doesn't necessarily use that language, but he uses this imagery of, of new birth. And he's going to mix some metaphors here in, in a little bit. And I love mixing metaphors because it's fun, but it also can be a little confusing uh, for my, my little brain. Um, he's, you're a new birth. You have been given new life because of, of who and what Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. And so you're, uh, you're figuring out what this new birth means for you. Uh, you're figuring out not just what this means for you as you're trying to live your life as a part of the Roman Empire, but you're trying to figure this out what it means to be the church together. That is, I think, the question, what does it mean for us to be the church, uh, is a question that we should never stop asking ourselves. Some parts of that, that answer to that question don't change, Right? We are a community that, as a church, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's one of the things that really doesn't change. What changes, though, is how we work out how that's expressed. And in the first chapter, one of the things that Peter says, which I find so very important, is that what it means to be the church is to live in genuine mutual love with each other. Genuine mutual love. Now, we uh, in, in America, in Western society, love has taken on this very romantic idea. Um, all over the movies, we have, you know, it's more of a romantic attraction. And, and, but the Greeks had at least three different words that they would have used for love. And, um, and so the, there's nuance here. And the love that Peter's referring to is this, uh, well, it's, it's brotherly brotherly-like kind of love. 
Uh, it, it is a, it's a love that's not based on feelings or emotions or the way someone looks, but it's, it's love based on, uh, on a common connection between the people. Genuine mutual love is the love that we are called to have for one another, that we are called to love each other in a significant way that always looks out for the good of the person uh, we are loving. And this becomes, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the basis, the most important thing for what it means to be a follower of Christ is that we learn how to love with genuine mutual love each other. That we cannot begin to understand what it means to be the church. We cannot begin to understand what God wants us to do in the world. For God so loved the world, right? Unless we we learn and practice how to live in genuine mutual love uh, with each other. Uh, So love forgives and it uh, it meets evil with with love and care. Um, one of my one of the children's Bibles that we ended up reading, uh, our kids for a long time had this kind of phrase, and it, this is uh, this is kind of how I want us to understand love. How I want to try to understand it for myself. Um, that maybe we can describe genuine mutual love as a love that is never giving up, and always and forever kind of love. So not only is it based on like our connection to each other, but it is a, a faithful love, one that, that remains faithful regardless of the other person's fidelity towards us. It's the love that Christ has for us as individuals. It's the love that Christ has for the church, and it is the love that Christ has called us to have for the world, uh, genuine mutual love. Well, um, we get started with Second uh, Peter, and chapter 2, there's a therefore, uh, and so we see there with, with verse 1, Therefore, rid yourselves therefore of all malice and all guile and insincerity and envy and all slander. And so we have to understand that what follows that therefore is, is a commentary on what he's already said in chapter 1. Um, you have this new birth. You are to love each other with genuine mutual love. There's a whole bunch of other stuff in chapter 1. But because of that, then you need, to, you need to look and dress differently. Here's the first of, of three metaphors uh, that Peter mixes. One, uh, it's the clothing metaphor. Uh, take off, rid yourselves, literally means like to undress from, like to disrobe from having those things on you. So if you'll notice this list, uh, uh, malice and envy and slander and guile, how we wanted to, to, to define those things, are contrary and opposite to genuine mutual love. It's really, really hard to love someone genuinely if you are always envious of them. Uh, or if you're harboring malice in your heart, right? You, just, you can't wish somebody poorly and say you love them at the same time, which is, which is exceedingly difficult uh, to do that. So it's a, it's a dress-up image, at first anyway. He doesn't say this necessarily. Uh, you take off these things, and what you put back on, though, is that genuine mutual love. Uh, obviously, the list of vices here is not, uh, it's not a full list, because there's lots of other things we might be able to add 
to that. Metaphor number two it comes in verse two. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk so that, you, so that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he, he, he kind of goes back to the new birth image, right? Uh, skips right over, uh, leaves the clothing metaphor behind and says, you are like newborn infants. Uh, a couple of things I think are really important here. Um, one, those of you who are parents, uh, I want you to think back to when you brought your eldest child home from the hospital. And those first couple of nights, uh, the terror and the hopelessness of realizing that this child needs to eat every three hours for the foreseeable future, right? Does anybody have trauma from that? Yeah. And I want... Like I did, the, I, yeah, I wasn't even, well, uh, Nate was a noisy, anyway. Uh, <laughs> he's still noisy, uh, incredibly loud and, and boisterous, just uncontrollable. Uh, a couple of things. I think that when we, when we hear passages like this, like newborn infants, we automatically think that like we need to revert to that kind of immaturity. Like childlike faith, uh, and and that's not what that's not what Jesus or Peter is saying here. I think uh, if we're really looking at this specifically, the encouragement to be like newborn infants is to have the same type of appetite for the food that will help us to grow into what we should be. It is to have the same kind of appetite. That means that if you're going to grow well, if you're going to grow what God wants you into what God wants you to be, then you've got to be like an infant who eats all the time. Like that's all they do, eat and sleep and poop, right? Uh, now we've got to ask, like, what, does, what does it look for, like for us to eat with that same kind of appetite. I think it looks different as we grow, but I, I think it, it means that we, as a, as a church, as people, we have this desire and longing to know the story of God's love for creation. That we don't just, we don't just read scripture, but that we seek to understand it. Uh, that we seek to, to understand God's love for us and then live out that love uh, directed towards other as a response for, for what we have been given. Um, if you're not eating, if you're not eating well enough, you're not going to grow. Uh, Nate, we ended up feeding him uh, a bottle, and because he had some acid reflux, we put rice in it. And after we did that, he got so fat. Like he was... He was the fattest kid ever, and fat babies are happy babies, as far as I'm concerned. Sorry, you were just like you're loud. You're, you were so fat. Um, just, just rolls, rolls. Sam, we did not do that, and he did not get nearly as fat. Uh, that's where the comparison ends. Okay. Uh, I, sometimes I struggle with how much uh, to talk about my children. I'll hear about it when I get home, I suppose. Um, 
but you eat a lot and, and, and you grow and you're strong. Um, but in the midst of that, and this is where I want to tie back with last week, in the midst of all that growing, there is growing pain. Uh, Nate didn't stay fat because he was growing. Because his body was taking all of that nutrients and, and goodness and it was helping his brain make all these neurological connections and, and his body and his muscles grow so that he could eventually sit up by himself and walk by himself and run by himself and all of the things. And we're hoping that he continues to grow so that he can drive by himself. It will be good. Um, but you need, you need the, the nourishment for that. Uh, and it hurts sometimes, like we said last week. Nate may not remember growing teeth, uh, but that was painful. He doesn't remember that it was painful, but we do, once again, because he was loud. I'm sorry. I, I'll stop. Uh, when you hit teenager years, like your, your body is growing and, and it, it, there's pain. Yeah, but you still, need, you still need that food. Actually, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of similarities in my mind between teenagers and infants in the quantity and frequency with which they eat. It's, it's, it's a real thing. Yes, I, you feel our pain. So much food. Yeah. Um, here's, but here's, here's the... Here, this may not, this may not uh, matter a whole lot. What happens, though, if you eat like you're growing when you stop growing? Like you get, you get fat. Right? You get maybe lumpy and misshapen. Uh, I know about these things. Uh, just tuck, tuck that way, tuck that away in your in your brain for just for just a minute. He goes on. Peter does, uh, and he says, verse four: "Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in, precious in God's sight." Like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer, excuse me, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A living stone. Here, here's where I, third metaphor, right? We've moved from babies to clothing, back to babies, and now we're talking about rocks. Um, part of how I want to understand this passage is that, uh, and remember that, Peter isn't talking to people who aren't yet Christian. He's encouraging the the church. And he says, because of all of this that Christ has done, because you are eating well of the goodness of God's grace and love and God's uh, teaching to you, then you are being shaped and formed into a stone. Not not a dead stone, right? And all metaphors break down. This is where this one's going to break down. But a, a a stone that has been and is, has been and will continue to be shaped so that you might fit as a block in a wall. Uh, so that, that you might be a part of growing into something that is more than just yourself. That in all reality is more than just our church here. 
um, I, I, think, I think part of what happens is, is the Spirit begins to work on us and to shape us. And we present ourselves to Christ as, as someone who is growing and being shaped, and then God places us in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ, other living stones um, who have been laid on Christ the cornerstone so that we might become the church, God's people. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice according to God. Um, all of this is Jewish language, and it's, it's very, like, you are God's chosen people, and, and this is what God had intended to do through Israel, is to form and shape them into uh, a group, a family that was to be a witness to God's love and grace and in creation. As church, as individuals, we have received this new birth because of Christ's death and resurrection. Because of Easter, we are new people built in a new way, being reshaped for life in, in the church, in the kingdom of God. doesn't mean you spend all your time here, by the way. But you need to let yourself be a part of that stone wall. Th- that your purpose, your purpose is not just for yourself, but it's to be in community, working alongside others for the sake of God's salvation in the world. Back, I think when, when we eat well, we study together, we pray together, we worship together, God forms us. We cooperate with God's form and formation with us for the sake of what God's calling us to do. I think sometimes, I think sometimes that we eat in a way that's inappropriate for the amount of, I don't know if this is working or not, for the amount of growth that we are doing and we become lumpy and misshapen and ill-suited to be a living stone in the wall of Christ's church. I, I have very particular images about what that looks like. Uh, more cartoony than anything else. Sorry. Sometimes I work on these things as I'm saying them to you. Um, but, but does that make sense? When, when we are malnourished, whether we, eat, whether we eat too much of the wrong thing or we don't eat enough of the right thing, we end up being misshapen for use in, in God's kingdom. That's part of our growing pains. I think if I, if, I, uh, if I look at my own life and my own weight, that it's taken me a long time to figure out the right balance between what I eat and how much I exercise and all of those so that I might maintain a balanced and healthy physical body. I, I think that's part of what Peter is saying to us. That as a, as a fellowship, as a church, if we want to participate with God's grace and love and mission in the world, 
then we work together to figure out what we eat, how we eat it together, metaphorically, obviously, so that when we are presented, when we present ourselves to God for work in this world, our shape has begun to take form and God continues to work at it and at us to fit us into our place in the wall that makes up the building that is Christ's church. One of the, the ways, you're going to get tired of me saying this, but I'm going to say it probably every week, ever. Uh, one of the ways that we eat well is at, at this table. Because it is not just a meal, but it is a meal that reminds us of who we are. It's a meal that reminds us of God's faithfulness, of God's genuine mutual love for us. Not only is it good nourishment, but it shows us what kind of living stone we should be built into one that is loving and, and willing to give of ourselves for the sake of others, even when people are not nice to us. Because that's the point of the cross to a large extent. It's Christ dying while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies and aliens and strangers of God. So, as you come forward in a little bit, I want you to think and ask yourself, have I been eating appropriately? Have I allowed myself to be shaped and formed into a living stone that is suitable to be used alongside others for the sake of God's mission in the world? And then as you, as you receive that bread and as we partake of that together, you will say, Lord, I present myself as a living stone. Shape me and use me in the way that you will. Help me to live with genuine mutual love. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.